we tried so hard to figure out what the title of this movie means, and I don't know about you, but I've got nothing. Yeah, um, the only thing I can think is it's some kind of reference to the impotence of the killer. Okay, I see what you're saying, because like the phrase 6 to midnight means like going from nothing to an erection, but 10 to midnight, that's not a lot of movement, right? Maybe that's what it means? Yeah, I feel like he only has a semi-heart all the time, and it just doesn't function for him, so women don't get off on it. Although midnight still implies a full boner, so... Maybe that's the part he can't complete. He can get from 6 to 10, oh. but it's still kind of like floppy, you know, like a big snake. <laughs> Welcome to Bad Movies and Beer. I'm Cooper. <laughs> and I'm Nolan. <laughs> Today, we are discussing 10 to Midnight, a late period Charles Bronson movie where you'll never believe it, but he plays a fucking burned out cop with bad home relationships. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's got uh, a dead wife and a daughter who he doesn't really have a relationship with because he's too busy doing his job as a good, one of the only good cops left. They do mention he's gotten several commendations, but by all accounts, he's just your stock fucking 80s cop character. Charles Bronson, man against That's the world. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Stereotype here, yes, for sure. Oh, man. But uh, yeah, kind of a police thriller, less of a one-man war on crime. Not as much action as I think either one of us hoped for. No, definitely more of a suspense thriller, but unfortunately one that is incredibly predictable and not uh, tremendously suspenseful. The most suspenseful part is the title. Again, we can't figure out what yeah, it means. Yeah, still not sure <laughs> what it means. Um, as the killer's running around hanging dong, we still can't figure it out. Did he hang dong? I didn't see any dong. A little bit, a little bit. Okay. They just like showed a, like, a lot of his pubes more than anything else. Well, it was, around. that was the era, right? Yeah, yeah. That's fair. That makes sense. <laughs> anyway, we're going to cover all of this, the uh, nuts and... <laughs> but <laughs> yeah the literal nuts that you get to see bouncing yeah. around most of the time on the screen yeah, but first uh, as we always do we like to pair a beer with the movie we were watching and today's beer i think this is a pretty decent connection what do we got here yeah definitely so this one's called midnight on the grand obviously we're working in midnight with the title here it's a black lager it says it's dark and delicious it's from the grand river brewing company so I think I've had some of their beers before. They were out of the Cambridge area. I think, though, that they're being brewed out of Vaughan, Ontario now. I think uh, a few years back they were purchased by uh, a large winery that's here in Ontario. Magnata? Yeah. Yeah, yeah Magnata. And so Magnata is carrying on the brand, but unfortunately we're not able to carry the uh, brewery itself in Cambridge going. It was in an old classic building, but I think they were having issues with the city and some of the taxes, maybe other things there were making it difficult. I think COVID got in the way there too, probably. As it did for a lot of small businesses and especially, we know a few craft breweries that did not survive the whole COVID thing. So, well, that's too bad, but it's nice that the beer lives on. I wonder if the brewers are actually involved in the like process still. Or if they just I, I sold the name and recipes. they brought some of them over maybe, but I'm sure there was a bit of a change of staff. But yeah, it sounds like they're brewing these out of Vaughn. They're available in the LCBO here in Ontario, many grocery stores, and you can also order their stuff online. So it is nice that a lot of those recipes are still continuing to go. I've never had this one. I've had a couple other black lagers. They tend to be really enjoyable. They just use kind of a darker malt, but still have the same lager uh, fermentation and yeast and finish. So it should be a, a pretty crushable beer. Well, I hope so. This, is a, that, this kind of style of beer is when I had a hard time wrapping my head around because, like, for years, I, like, lagers are, you know, they're light, they're clear. When I first saw a black lager, I just naturally thought it was going to taste very, like, heavy and, like, hoppy and stuff. Not the case at all, so I'm interested to try this. I haven't had this one before, but I have had some of their other beers. I think this one might be, like, a seasonal offering. Like, I don't think this is available right this minute. Maybe it comes back again. Uh, in a couple months, I don't know, but yeah, keep your eye on it. They do have a list of regulars that are always there on the website and then other ones that pop out through the year. So uh, we're going to crack into this midnight on the ground and talk about 10 to midnight. Absolutely. Let's do it. So we open with some police station chatter and the unforgettable logo of the Canon Film Group. Always nice to see them. <laughs> yeah, we've had quite a few Canon films on here. They're always doing stuff that uh, seems to hit both the bad movie and enjoyability scale pretty hard. So I'm looking forward to that. I think you kind of had a prediction. You're like, I'm hoping and thinking this might be a canon film. I know that you went from 6 to 10 when you saw that logo pop up. <laughs> I went all the way from 6 to midnight, 6 to 10. Come on. <laughs> you know, it is great to see the this. And from there, we see Charles Bronson doing some two-finger old man typing. There's a derelict guy trying to convince him that he killed a man, but Bronson knows he's just looking for a warm bed for the night. So he kicks him the fuck out. That damn flat foot. 
<laughs> I hadn't heard that insult before. I had to ask you what that meant, but I guess that's an old-timey... Uh, yeah, it's a policeman. It's an old-time term for a police. They yeah. walk the beat, so that's like yeah. their feet would get super flat. Yeah, oh, yeah, there was the unmistakable sound of a whole bunch of landlines being called and a bunch of typewriters <laughs> being pressed. It was a pretty big racket as we entered here. We go from this like derelict guy trying to get a free night in bed to a reporter trying to get some information about a new case here. Yeah, after that old codger leaves, we find out that Bronson has no time for these shenanigans because he's hunting a killer. At least as we tell us the reporter who's sniffing around in classic Charles Bronson style. Jerry, I'm not a nice person. I'm a mean, selfish son of a bitch. I know you want a story, but I want a killer and what I want comes first. Cue the guitar solo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he calls himself a mean son of a bitch, too, in there. It's a pretty funny line. We get that big guitar solo into kind of a weird graphical intro here. Big red letters pop on the screen, and we're we're starting to get a sense of who this cast is and where we're headed. Yeah, man, this rockin' opening credit sequence ends with a fairly preppy-looking guy watching a couple of hot young ladies walking out of an office building. We cut to a dream sequence or memory of this guy unzipping a woman's dress and her turning around and throwing coffee in his face. We see this literally three times before we cut to him in his apartment wearing some European cut briefs in a room that contains what appears to be a poster of himself doing karate. This is hilarious, but it does raise several red flags. <laughs> yeah, if those flashback sequences and him leering creepily at young women didn't tell you that this guy was our murderer... Certainly the way he blow-dried his hair and had a poster of himself doing kung fu on his wall were dead giveaways to me. It transitions to him practicing with a butterfly knife. Suddenly dressed, though, no longer in his nut-hugging underwear. <laughs> That's it's true. He decides to take in a movie, and as he arrives at the theater, he sidles up to a chesty lady in line. She's friends with the ticket taker, so he finds out her name and tries to strike up a conversation during the movie. This doesn't go well for him, so I had her pretty much immediately marked for death. And sure enough, he heads to the men's room where he throws on some rubber gloves, but then he jumps out a window that is inexplicably located in one of the stalls. And to my surprise, instead of killing her, he heads to the woods naked? I'm a little confused about what's happening here. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that goes down pretty quickly at the start of this movie. It kind of sets a pretty good pace as we get going. He heads to this movie. He does un get uncomfortably close to this woman like you're talking about. He, he kind of like gets behind her and dry humps her a little bit as he introduces himself. Yeah, it seems like he's poking her with it a little bit. Yeah, it, when she could tell it was only getting to 10, so she was a little disappointed. <laughs> um, that's why she so hard turns him down, I think. If she felt the 12, maybe she might have been a little more interested because he's a clean-cut guy. He's fit. He, the... Friend even, like, seems to be like, why aren't you giving this guy the time of day? Yeah. Other than the fact that he's being an absolute creeper. Um, so he gets uh, those gloves on and he heads out the stall window. I don't understand this at all. This is I've really never weird. seen a window no. in the stall in a men's room. That's uh, very odd. No, I've never seen a window in a bathroom of uh, like establishment. A public building? Yeah. yeah. So it was kind of weird. So he heads out there. He hops into his VW bug and drives through the woods, like you said. Then we cut to him being naked with a knife and approaching a van where clearly two people are f***ing. Oh yeah, that van was a rockin', but he still decides to come and knockin'. And he quickly kills the dude. The woman in there tries to escape, but she basically just runs a lap, which allows him to immediately catch up to her, stab her in the chest, and, if we're being honest, probably tries to bang her corpse? Oh, I don't, I didn't get that, but maybe... Well, we know he wasn't successful, because again, he can only get to 10, not midnight, but well, I'm sure he probably tried to mash it in there or something. They didn't find any DNA evidence, and I think he might be afraid of that if he were trying to mash, because he does put on those gloves. Oh, that's you know, a good point. Leave yeah. fingerprints. You know, they do make gloves for your penis. They're yeah. called condoms. They didn't show him with dong bags, They're but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I could see this guy having them. So, yeah, so he murders her after what is just a tremendously awful performance by this actress. Oh, get used to those. There's a lot more of those coming. Oh, my goodness. So she begs for a life before he stabs her. She does recognize him. They, she knows him. Uh, and we find out that they are work colleagues. Uh, and he's the one who had undone her dress. And she chucked that coffee in his face. And it seems like this killer keeps a list, right? If you do him wrong, he's not going to let you get away with it. It seems like he, he was definitely hunting her down after for a while. But what it turns out is that movie thing was all just to build an alibi. That's smart, actually. He makes sure he talks to those girls on the way out of the theater, too, so they remember that he was there at the beginning and the end. That's clever. Yeah, he flushes the evidence down the toilet of that washroom, too. He sends down those bloody gloves and gets rid of them. 
So they're starting off pretty well. Like, we've got this, and we know that the next day the person investigating this murder is going to be Charles Bronson. Oh, my God, absolutely, yeah. The next morning we've got a crime scene, and obviously Charles Bronson is there. But there's another detective, too, a young guy named McCann, who we quickly find out is not nearly as experienced and professional as Bronson, especially when he casually tosses his gum on the ground. And how does Bronson handle that? Yeah, Bronson's not happy. He thinks he's found some evidence from the night before. He picks it up with a stick. I'm not sure why he's not using, like, gloves or evidence or bags or anything like that. But he takes that gum and he puts it in the pocket of the sport coat that his new partner (laughs) is wearing, this new detective, and squishes it in there so that... We get a scene later as he walks away of that young detective pulling out the strings of gum from his own jacket, which is kind of funny. Yeah, man, I like that move. That's a good veteran cop teaching the rookie the ropes kind of thing, you know? Anyway, Bronson's got a theory. This dude's knife is his penis. In other words, impotence. But that's not all that's happening here. We find out in a terribly acted office scene that our killer, Warren is his name, worked with, like you said, and was probably obsessed with the girl he just murdered. Oh, God. The acting in the office is horrible. The actress, Betty, I think the Betty is the friend of the person who gets killed. Betty's the one who gets killed. Oh, okay. When the, when the actress finds out Betty is killed, it is just brutal. That's her boss. Yes. Oh, fuck, Oh, yeah. my God, yeah. And then we, we get a bit of a commentary on the justice system, right? They're sort of saying that this guy's going to probably get out, or there's commentary about people using psychology to pretend like they didn't do it. We're definitely going to get a lot of that messaging throughout this movie here. Oh, for sure. And we hear a little bit about in the next scene where we also get a ton of character building between Bronson and McCann. They go back and forth a bit in that way where they're kind of feeling each other out, but also becoming reluctant friends or at least gaining respect for each other. The best line is probably this one. I'll try and raise my level of performance. That shouldn't be too hard. <laughs> that was yeah. fun. Yeah. And before you know it, Bronson finds himself in his old neighborhood. Now, unfortunately, he's going to have to break the news to a couple of his old neighbors that their daughter is now dead. Awkward. Yeah, he was just lecturing his new partner on how to keep it non-personal and to just deliver the information until he finds out that his daughter grew up with and had hung out with the girl he just found murdered. So he has to break it to old friends that their daughter is no longer alive. And uh, they spend quite a while in that house. They kind of get reacquainted on the porch. And we see a scene where, I don't know, it felt like forever. He comes out afterwards and walks back to the car. And he has told them he's going to find the killer. He, this is on him now. This is personal. Oh, that's a Bronson promise. This is exactly what he told the young cop not to do, but he's doing it. And from there, they go interview the girl's best friend looking for leads. But unfortunately, it turns out that the murdered girl was a little bit promiscuous. Uh, never a night someone wasn't calling, her best friend says, before listing off like 50 guys the dead girl slept with. Seriously, Bronson has to go to the car to get a second notebook. The list is so long. Yeah. No, that's not true. There is a lot of... Of shaming going on here. They're definitely making a commentary about women who are getting murdered because they open their legs too frequently. And uh, I mean, it was the 80s and that kind of thing was too common in the movies. But we even see some of that in some of the more recent movies we talk. We actually had a bit of a discussion about this. This comes up far too often than I'm comfortable with. Yeah, the ladies get short shrift a lot. And uh, that was an unfortunate thing that was happening and probably still happens in a lot of places. But man, yeah, they're really heavy handed with it here. Just not condoning that at all. It's not great. And then they transition to like interviewing her friend and her friend is wearing Maybe the shortest shorts I've ever seen. Her lips were peeking out the sides <laughs> of her on, shorts. And, and there's and nothing wrong like, with that. No, and it was <laughs> fine. But I feel like they were like passing along that message still just through physical actions. I was like, oh, my gosh. Those were some world-class 80 shorts. Just cranked up the super high waist. But, yeah, they were basically everything was peeking out. Uh, from there, we get a funeral scene, which the killer, Warren, is there watching because, of course, he is. Also, there is Charles Bronson's daughter, who, like you just said, used to be best friends with the dead girl. And I don't know about you, but anytime someone related to Charles Bronson shows up in a movie, I start getting real nervous. Yeah, we know where this is going. We know that she is going to very quickly become the target of this killer and that Bronson is going to have to step in before it's too late. I thought this could go one of two ways at this point. I was like, either she gets killed really soon and he goes on just an absolute bloodbath to take this guy down, or we're going to get it dragged out where she's going to be in danger for the rest of the movie, and he's going to have to come in to save her at the last moment. See, now, as an experienced Charles Bronson movie watcher, I could have told you which one it was because we're dealing with a single killer. 
Therefore, it has to be a race to the finish line scenario. If a gang had caused her to die or if like drug dealers, an organization where he has time to mow through multiple people, then that's your one man war on crime. So I knew where this is going to go. But yes, clearly something's going to happen with her. Uh, something else that's going to happen with her, we quickly figure out, is that she kind of catches that young detective McCann's eye. And I laughed right then because they just could not lay this out any clearer if they tried. <laughs> yeah, we knew where it was going. Uh, the relationship between Bronson and his daughter isn't a great one, and he kind of needed an in, and his new partner was the way to help pull that back again. And so that's where it was going to be a bridge to bring them together. He Hold was on. Also do, you think, do you think Bronson's, like, pimping out his partner to try and establish a relationship with his daughter? Do you think happening coincidentally? Oh, no, I think he did it intentionally. Oh, I don't know, man. I Although think, he does leave. He's like, oh, I have to go. You two talk for a minute. Yeah, I think Bronson <laughs> intentionally used his young partner, his, like, handsome young partner, to help build a bridge with his daughter. The partner's the guy who is like telling her how awesome a cop her dad is and defending her dad. She's the one shitting all over her dad for not being involved in her life, right? So I think there's some intention in what Bronson's doing here. I mean, it's very possible. Now, obviously, this all ends up happening later, their romantic relationship and all the talk about how good a cop her dad is. But first, we hear the dead girl's father mention that his daughter kept a diary with the names of all the guys she slept with. Too many, he says. And again, so much slut shaming going on here. Mm -hmm. Way too much of that. The killer very quickly exits the funeral, though, and heads straight to the apartment. He needs to have that diary so that he can see what kind of shit's written in there about him because he knows that if she wrote everything down that happened between them at the workplace, he is going to be a prime suspect. Oh, yeah. Once he overhears the dad mention it, he takes off. Now, he doesn't have much time to look because her old roommate comes home, that lady from the interrogation earlier. And once she gets home, she starts making Brinner. You like Brinner, Noel? Absolutely love it. I am an eggs and bacon at all times of day kind of person. So, yeah, she gets home. She takes off her funeral dress. She's wearing, like, a one-piece underwear. Yeah, it was like a... Uh, that's why I can describe it as, like, a cotton swimsuit. But it wasn't a swimsuit. It was just underwear. It was and very kinda, strange. Kind of lacy at the, like, bra and underwear area, too. But not enough to be lingerie, I feel. Just kind of more like a... I, I don't... It's really odd. I've never seen anything like it before. No, it feels like just an 80s thing. But she's walking around this. She grabs a robe to warm up a little bit. And she's getting hungry, so she's going to make herself some eggs. While she's there, though, in the kitchen making those eggs, who pops out to surprise her? Well, it's the killer, of course. Fully nude. He's going to stab her, which he does. And he hurries back to the bedroom, pries open that bedside table, and finds a box marked My Diary. He rips it open only to find that it's empty. And to emphasize how shocking this is, they do a hard zoom on the empty box and make like a loud whirring noise. I couldn't believe how heavy-handed this was, but then I remembered that this is a canon release, so, you know. It was incredibly heavy-handed. I was shocked <laughs> that he was naked again. Like, in the first murder, I was kind of like, well, he knows they're both going to be naked, so maybe he's just joining them. This is, like, part of it. He <laughs> so just tries to in. put people at ease or fit in yeah. when he's doing it. But he was hiding in her closet in her bedroom, and somehow in that closet he manages to strip down without making a ton of noise. This seems like a very impractical way to murder people. If he's being so careful, he's got to leave a sock or, like, one of his small European underwear somewhere when he's stripping down every time he murders. Like, this seems like a lot of time and pieces of clothing to think about. Well, but the smart part is you're not going to get blood on your clothes if you're not wearing clothes. He can wash the blood off his skin. There's no evidence on his clothes afterwards. Like, I get what you're saying. I see what you're saying. But doesn't he then, after murdering, put on his clothes before yeah. he leaves? But would there not be blood on the inside of his clothing? I probably washes off first. Kills her, takes a shower. You think he had a shower there? Maybe. I mean, if, if you're talking about leaving evidence behind, if anything, he's going to leave some of those pubes behind. He takes off those tight underwear. They're going to drag a couple out. That's going to be a thing. Although, did they have, like, the forensic hair stuff back then? Not to the same degree. Yeah. I think I think maybe they could match up some of that. I think today, with the way that he had a pretty wild bush, that would be all over the crime yeah. scene. Bronson pulling out some tweezers would have been hilarious, but it does not happen <laughs> in this movie. If he had a magnifying glass and tweezers to pull some pubes <laughs> off the ground, it would have been fantastic. Yeah, man. Speaking of Bronson, the killer returns to his apartment only to find Bronson and that young detective McCann waiting for him. They've got questions, and they've also got the diary. She kept very detailed accounts, it turns out, of all the people she dated. Bronson reads a couple. One guy was conceited. Another one loved his car. And then he fires off a few passages about a creep who she refused to date but kept calling her anyway. And who was that creep? I'll give you a hint. 
you. <laughs> that was a good line. Yeah. I mean, it was clear that where we were going with that one again. Yeah. Definitely paint by numbers here, but I did enjoy that he called him out on it, um, which was funny. Our guy is trying to play it smooth, but he's clearly a bit rattled here. I mean, he is, but thanks to that memorable night at the movies, he has got an airtight alibi. Bronson, though, he's suspicious, so he decides to check out this guy's bathroom. Does he uh, find anything interesting in there, Noel, or what? <laughs> <laughs> so he does make the excuse to go to the bathroom. When he gets in there, he finds a few porn mags on top of the toilet. And then he goes into the medicine cabinet and pokes around. Doesn't find a bunch there, but when he looks under the sink of the bathroom... He finds just the most hilarious pocket <laughs> I could ever imagine. It's like a very primitive fleshlight. Can you describe this thing to our audience, please? <laughs> the, <laughs> the best way I can describe it is it looks like he hollowed out a mannequin foot and then somehow like stuck it on the end of like an electric turkey carver. Like it's, just, it's got that like base, that like hard plastic molded base of like the carver, but then there's like a... <laughs> like weird fleshy like rubber thing yeah. at the end it's just a rubber hole it looks God like it plugs damn. in i don't understand what kind of motion it makes i'm worried yeah. that it could go awry and snap a dick up <laughs> maybe yeah. this is why he can't get to 12 anymore maybe he injured himself using this pocket oh body. it's a mishap it's an accident yeah, now it was a yeah. mishap and he just couldn't sue because it was too hard to lock down that company maybe or this it's is embarrassing he's going to bring yeah, to court and explain what he's using it for um, jesus so i think that's what's happening I mean, after this, they kind of leave. They they kind of put him on notice that they're considering him a suspect and that he needs to watch himself. What's hilarious, though, is I don't see our Bronson character stuff that giant pocket pussy into his pants or his shirt here. But he's got it. He somehow takes it. it. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my <laughs> this God. Is, this is great. After the police find the body of the dead roommate, they decide to bring this guy Warren in for questioning. And he sure seems suspicious and also like a terrible actor. But those girls from the movie theater verify that he was, in fact, at the movies the night the first girl was killed. However, that doesn't stop Bronson from going full tilt here. He accuses this guy of never sleeping with a woman, of killing God knows how many women, and he even pulls the flashlight out to wave it in his face. Warren, do you recognize this? Leo, What's that, Warren? You ever see one of these before? What's it used for? What's the matter? Cut? Got your tongue? It's for off, isn't it? This is just vintage Bronson, and I am loving every minute of it. This scene here is actually quite good. You yes. love the um, the scene where they have someone and they're being interviewed, and the police go overboard. Like oh, these God. are these are really really good. He pulls out pictures of the dead women, and he shoves the guy's face in them. Bronson knows. Bronson has determined that this is the killer, and he is sure of it. And he is going to make this guy go down for it no matter what. Oh, yeah. He's got this whole thing figured out. And we're only like 30 minutes into this movie. Like, he's got it. Yeah. Done. It's locked. He didn't really need that much evidence. I guess he can just tell by the creepy things he read in the diary and the fact that this guy has a pocket pussy. I mean, <laughs> we talked about women being shamed for multiple partners. Yeah. I feel like there's still a shame if one of us owned a pocket pussy. I feel like there, we would get shame from our friends or relatives. I totally that. agree. But I think that's just because... Like, you know, it's not hard to use your hand, you know, to, to go that. You think it's just lazy or like, what do you need that you can't just get from like your hand? Why do you need like an apparatus? You know, I don't know. I've never used one. It could be great. <laughs> well, uh, I tell you what, man, if you, <laughs> you want to take one for a spin and get back to us. I'm sure uh, we can all. Uh, I don't know, that. but I would feel judged. <laughs> I, yeah, well, I, 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 I wasn't conveyed by my tone. I don't know what it is. So as we said, he's completely correct about who the killer is. The problem is they just don't have the evidence, no matter how much Bronson protests. The captain tosses it over to McCann, but he basically sells Bronson out before a chance encounter with the daughter sways him to the other side. See, Bronson's daughter remembered Warren from the funeral and recalls the dead girl being scared of him and him saying he was going to get even with all the women who wronged him. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Noel, but by telling the cops all of this, isn't she wronging him? Uh-oh. Oh, no. I mean, it's it's. I think that Bronson already wronged him enough that this guy wants revenge against him. And if he can connect her as the daughter of him, she is clearly going to become his target. But the fact that she's also assisting in his arrest is going to put her in even more harm's way here. Oh, absolutely. And sure enough, he stakes out the hospital where she works and calls her later from a payphone to talk dirty to her in Spanish. 
Bronson's cop sense is tingling, so he comes down to the hospital the next day to see her and also try to repair the relationship that we find out here is extremely damaged. And this is where I had the thought, this movie is strangely dramatic. It's completely dramatic, right? This is very much a dramatic thriller. There is not a lot of action happening here. Although the pace at the start with the murder and the like, the hiding of the murder was pretty quick, we really, really slow down through this section. Like, almost unbearably slow. I'm, I'm having trouble right now. I'm asking a lot about how far are we, where are we going, because it feels like the movie is really dragging at this point. I know what you mean, but we do get the party scene coming up in a second. Before then, though, McCann shows up to pick the daughter up for that party. He's wearing a sweet blazer with the elbow patches like a teacher from the 70s. And he hooks her and her roommates up with a super primitive phone tap and a police issue radio. They ask if he's trying to worry them, and he replies, No, actually, I'm trying to scare the pants off you. That's a new approach. Most fellas do it manually. That was kind of clever. Yeah, there was some funny flirting and joking going on there as he picks them up to go to this party. We transition to the party and we have some hilarious 80s dancing. There's a keg there and the police officer and uh, Bronson's daughter are getting along reasonably well here. He was getting too hot there on the dance floor. That teacher's jacket he's wearing is not allowing him to breathe enough. She tells him to take it off, but I think he's a little shy of his pit stain. So uh, (laughs) he asks her if they can get away from the dance floor for a little bit. And she pulls him to the side off of there and they have a little conversation. That's true. But you forgot that before that happens, he tries to tell her they can't take it off also because he has a gun. And she can't hear him because of the music. So it's really that comic thing where like he's saying it louder and louder. And finally he yells it right when the music cuts out and everyone kind of looks and she has to kind of explain it away. I, I don't know. It's a weird infusion of comedy right there, but I still enjoyed it. Yeah, it was funny. Um, Speaking of comedy, <laughs> he, uh, he they're in the hallway now, like you said, and he hears what he thinks is the sound of a woman in distress. So he runs off to rescue her, but it turns out she's just getting nailed. And in between those two things, Bronson's daughter offers to f*** her as I'm only kind of joking. <laughs> yeah, this whole sequence is pretty hilarious, right? We hear the woman kind of screaming, and he runs in, and he can see that what is clearly a doctor having sex with a nurse here. Um, they might be in between shifts. They're still kind of wearing their scrubs. They stop when he runs in with the gun, but he says, I'm sorry, and he quickly closes the door. But before he's out of there, we see the doctor <laughs> shove the nurse back down onto the bed to continue f- it's not an aggressive shove. He just kind of like steers her back down there without saying a word. We both laughed at that. That was funny. Yeah, she didn't seem to protest, though. She was happy to get back at it. Um, but you're right. Out in the hall, she offers to uh, to check his prostate. It's got to be like an innuendo. The right? whole time, though, I'm laughing because she's shoving hot nuts in her mouth. She just keeps eating nuts as she's offering to finger his ass. <laughs> I, don't know why that's, I don't know why that's funny, but I am laughing right now. The killer calls again as McCann is dropping her off. They manage to get a recording of his voice, but he's using a truly awful Spanish accent that means it's not going to be enough to put him away on its own. So Bronson's got to do some more digging. He checks out some crime scene photos before heading down to the lab to get some voice analysis done. But what he's really doing there is getting a syringe full of the victim's blood to plant some evidence because he knows in his heart that this guy is guilty. And I'm genuinely curious... How do you feel about him doing what is essentially dirty police work? Um, Yeah, this was interesting. Uh, I do not feel at all for our killer. We know he's the killer. It's clear that he's guilty of it. So um, I was kind of on Team Bronson here. I was like, make sure this guy goes away because if he doesn't, we know he's going to kill more people. Okay, but is that because you know he's the, cause we know yes. he's the killer? Yes. If this was a real-life scenario where you don't know but the cop is sure, how do you feel about this? There's too much uh, too much risk for error, right? Like, he, either, how many times has someone known they were sure and put away the wrong person because of bias or other bullshit? So right? you're not on Team Bronson. I am in this situation, but I'm not, like, I'm not a fan of that move. What we find out, or what we're going to find out soon, is that his partner, uh, newer to the force, younger here, he's uncomfortable with this, too. He finds out through a little bit of digging what Bronson did, And he knows that if he has to testify about this, he's going to have to perjure himself to make this guy go down. And I'm not sure that he can do it. That is a problem that we do face a little bit later. Before that happens, though, it turns out the voice on the tapes is a match, which is enough for them to hold him for about 30 days or so. Now, Bronson is counting on them finding more evidence in those 30 days, like, oh, I don't know, the clothes the killer was wearing the night of the murder, which just so happened to have traces of the victim's blood on them now. So they're going to book Warren for murder one. And how does he handle that? You dirty shit! 
Oh, man. This was a tantrum of the highest order. He freaks out. He smashes the chair he was sitting on against the wall. You should be allowed to use those moments in a trial to show guilt. Yeah. Right? Like, that moment told everyone in that room that he was guilty of those crimes. You wouldn't throw that tantrum unless you had been caught. And that really should have been evidence that was allowed to be admitted into court. It also should have made those lawyers who were defending him kind of question the legitimacy of their actions. But, you know. Well, I mean, they're paid to do a job, man. What do you want to do? But I agree with you on one level, which is this seems like a slam dunk now. Like, everyone's feeling confident about this. But Warren's lawyer is claiming, correctly as we know, that the evidence about his client was planted. And he even harasses McCann about the next day. This is where we get the thing you're talking about, where he's nervous about testifying. Um, thanks to that earlier exchange that McCann had with the lab tech guy, he has got his suspicions, and after talking to him again, he does realize that Bronson almost certainly planted the evidence. And this, to your credit, is the moment where you totally mapped out the last half hour of this movie perfectly. Like, you nailed what was going to happen from here out. <laughs> yeah, it was really, really clear um, at this point what was going to go down, and kind of frustratingly so, right? If this um, had more action... Like, if there were more of Bronson kicking ass. Um, I remember when we watched uh, Murphy's Law, there was a lot more sweet action in the last third of the movie. Yeah. And I was hoping that that's where we were going to go with this. But it really is just going to become more of, like, a mental battle between our Bronson character and our murderer. Yeah, but kind of advantage murderer right now, as it is time for the big courtroom scene. Now, I do think his lawyers are considering the idea that he's guilty because they kind of start steering him towards maybe pleading insanity, uh, not thinking that Bronson's partner will actually tell the truth. But after a tense back and forth in which Bronson admits to McCann that he did plant the evidence, it becomes clear that McCann is going to go up there and expose the whole thing because he took an oath. So Bronson is like totally fucked now, right? Yeah, absolutely. He knows that this isn't going to hold up in court. He knows he's going to get outed and... Credit Bronson, he does the right thing. He actually goes to the judge and the lawyer and the DA, and he admits to tampering with that evidence. He admits to planting it. Bad timing, though. The guy's in the middle of his opening speech, and Bronson's like trying to wave him over. The guy's like in the middle. Like, what? <laughs> it was actually kind of a funny scene where the guy's trying to lay the groundwork for the case, and Bronson's standing there at the courtroom, like swinging door, waving his hand over, and he's like, what the fuck, Bronson? Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to get my jam on here. Well, he's really saying what the fuck Bronson in a second because, yeah, man, he blows the whole case up. But, hey, at least his relationship with his daughter is improving. They're having a drink together or several in her case. But hilariously, it turns out they're upset for different reasons. Bronson is understandably mad about the killer who's back on the streets, but she's just sad about McCann. Yeah, the guy that she was, she did give him a kiss, too, before they finished off that night together. She was kind of falling for him, and now she's pissed because he didn't back her dad. Right? Like, if you want to get in her pants, you got to, even though she has a tough relationship with her dad, you still got to back him. You need daddy's permission. Yeah. Yeah. I think daddy does approve, though. I think this is one of the people daddy's like. Well, according to you, daddy set the whole thing up. I think he did. I think he was fine with <laughs> Why it. Why do you keep calling him daddy? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's weird and uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, you just don't like picturing uh, Bronson as a, as your daddy? <laughs> oh, my God. I would love if Charles Bronson was my father. Anyway, daddy ends up taking her home and tells her to call him immediately if we're Warren calls again, but it turns out that night he's the one getting a call. Warren promises this isn't over, and he'll be coming for him. Be seeing you, Mr. Kessler. Likewise, Mr. Stacy. I just love how Bronson starts fucking with him after this. Yeah, this guy did not know who he was fucking with. Um, this is very much where it starts feeling like Taken to me. Oh, yeah, yeah, dad sort of thing. And I could definitely see where the Taken movies are. Oh, it's just Liam Neeson is our generation's Charles Bronson. Yeah, I can definitely see the inspiration coming from these kind of movies. So Bronson's pissed now. He's kicked off the force because of his perjuring. We were questioning why he wasn't facing like criminal charges for this kind of thing. Probably all those commendations. I'm guessing the justice system did him a favor for his years of service. He's just fired, but he's not going to jail. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so Bronson now is obviously pissed at this killer who is starting to taunt him. So he's fucking with him. He starts going on the offensive and I like it. 
First of all, he goes to his work and he starts posting pictures of the murdered girls at his work. The people don't want Warren there. They suspect him of being that killer and they are all equally creeped out by him. So he kind of loses that, his position at oh, work. They fucking fire him. They yeah. think he's posting the pictures. Yeah. Yeah. So they get rid of him there. Um, what else does he do? He he's all- following him in his car. Oh, yeah. He's tailing him in his car and this is freaking worn out too. And, and things are not looking good for our killer here. Bronson's kind of all over him. He seems like he has the upper hand, but our killer has one more thing in his back pocket here. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's been pushed to the brink by Bronson's shenanigans, so what he does is he retrieves his murder weapon from a clever hiding spot and decides to cruise the strip looking for his next victim. And I don't know about you, but I kind of felt bad for him here. Like, he's been reduced to murdering sex workers? This is when you see a band who used to be in arenas playing like a casino or something. It's a real step back, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) I'm not sure if I'm comfortable with this comparison. I'm just saying, like, he Uh, was in a better position before, and now he's having to scale back. Yeah, now he's going back, but I don't think he's, uh, I don't think his interest isn't killing her and we're gonna find out soon that that's not what he's doing well no it turns out that he's not gonna murder the sex worker this is just his alibi so we can go for the real prize who of course is bronson's daughter bronson realizes this but just too late he calls her dorm and tells him not to open the door right when they're opening the door and the killer busts in there and quickly kills two out of three roommates then gets the turkey on the one with the most lines meanwhile bronson's daughter hides under the bed which causes her to avoid the roughly 10 straight minutes of male ass that the rest of us see it's a lot of this guy naked yeah all from behind well no there's a little bit of frontal shots where they use convenient objects to block his dog which is (laughs) kind of funny Austin Powers thing he's walking by like a hospital that's got that railing and the railing is just blocking his yeah you can see directly above and below that's kind of funny it happens with the bush in the very early parts of the movie too where they just use objects to block his so that they can keep it the rating that they have um this is an interesting sequence where he's killing them they're getting shots that feel almost psycho-esque. They're trying to get inspiration from some other sort of horror movies, I think. And she's hiding under that bed, being quiet. I'm wondering why she doesn't try to escape earlier. We couldn't figure out the layout of the room. I feel like he was, like, vaguely close to the front door yeah, so that so it wouldn't be possible. It. It's risky. So she's hiding under there. He does eventually discover her. He moves the bed out of the way, and the two of them are kind of facing off against each other. She turns out the lights, and she throws a lamp at him, which buys her a little bit of time. But when she tries to escape from the front door, the corpse of her friend is blocking the way. That's true. So instead, she locks herself in the bathroom. And this is where you mentioned Psycho. I really thought we were going to get a homeless man's version of The Shining here. But it turns out old Warren is not strong enough to break through the door. Instead, he pretends to leave the apartment by opening the door and closing it. And she actually comes out of the bathroom. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, this was a little disappointing. I don't understand why she exited. But to her credit, she did exit after plugging in a hot curling iron and getting ready to have a weapon of her own. Warren kind of grabs her from behind, but then she smokes him in the face with that curling iron and actually does escape. She gets out of that door and starts running away. Yes, in hindsight, I'm actually glad this happens because it leads to our three-way chase through the streets of L.A. We've got the daughter frantically running for her life, the killer, who we know is in fantastic shape, very slowly gaining on her while his balls flap in the moonlight, and Bronson shuffling along like the old man he is, but still inexplicably (laughs) getting to his daughter before the killer does because this is a movie. And this music? Oh my god, dude. Holy fuck. This whole foot chase scene is just hilarious and awful. Um, the fact that he doesn't catch her and kill her before he does is amazing. Like, I don't understand how that was even plausible. More unplausible is the fact that Bronson somehow takes a better route yeah. and gets <laughs> gets there. Because when we see him trying to run, he is not even breaking a sweat. He's not moving hard enough to chase anybody. He's like Danny Glover in Predator 2. There's a fucking throwback. I'll be back to our second episode. Oh, my God. Yeah, he runs like Danny does, too. So it's hilarious. But somehow he gets there just before she's about to get stabbed. He pulls the gun on our evil Warren character. And we have a little bit of a standoff here his partner shows up in a car almost immediately after he gets there too convenient timing and they get his daughter safely away the killer here starts telling him how maybe he is sick he starts going on about how maybe there's something that's driving him here maybe there's another person inside him and we know what's happening here we're getting a commentary on the justice system again this is probably about the fifth time in this movie, right? He's telling him that he's going to be out in six months and it's not going to be a problem. And then he's going to come after him again. 
is our Bronson character going to let this stand? Well, I was going to say, this is the problem with this plan. It's a good plan on the killer's part. This frantic monologue is basically setting up his insanity plea, but he forgot one important detail. He's talking to Charles Bronson. All you can do is lock me up, but not forever. One day I'll get out. One day they'll get out. That's the law. That's the law. That's the law. And I'll be back. I'll be back. You'll hear from me. You and the whole fucking world. No, we won't. And he shoots him in the fucking head. Bronson. Yeah, there is like all these cops kind of surrounding the scene. Like Bronson should have done this before the other cop cars showed up. He could have plausibly sold that he was defending himself in front of the other two when the guy had the knife. How does he explain this motherfucker away when all of these cops see him just murder this guy on the street? I'm not saying this Warren character didn't deserve to die. In fact, I was happy that he got taken out here at the end as someone cheering on in the audience. I want the serial killer to go down, but it definitely felt like a rough decision and rough timing to take him down here. Well, I don't know if you noticed, but we just go right to the credits at this point, and the last shot in the credits is a long shot, but you see Bronson fucking holding his arms up to get handcuffed because he knows he's going to jail for fucking murder. Ooh, I missed that. Yeah, you look at if you watch it again, his hands are up, he's just waiting to get cuffed, but his partner's kind of, they don't actually put the cuffs on him, but he's got his arms in that position because, like, he's not a cop anymore. He just fucking blew this guy away when he's already in custody, so yeah, man, he's going down, but to your point serial killers gotta lose and he does it in pretty great charles bronson fashion yeah just that quick quip i i was picturing or i think the room was picturing the audience clapping at this moment oh 100 right yeah. they were expecting everyone to burst out and clap and give them that high five that they deserved they were definitely going from uh, 10 to on, midnight man. at this point <laughs> like this was that point in the movie i mean you want the payoff in every movie but the writer's room this was their for sure so, <laughs> they're happy with this one we talked about this in murphy's law right like he had a good end line in that one also or like as close to the end line and it's just it's a charles bronson staple he just gets the last word and then he fucking blows the person away and then in this case we are literally right into the credits and that's it so i don't know man like it's a it's a charles bronson movie through and through but in terms of how it compares to uh other ones you've only seen murphy's law but i've seen a bunch i guess we will uh cover that right now why don't we go to our ratings so the way we always do this, we rate the movie on a scale of 1 to 10 two times, 1 to 10 for how bad it is, 1 to 10 for how enjoyable, and the goal is to find movies that are a 10 out of 10 on both scales, or what we call the Crit 20. And for me, I don't think this is a bad movie in a lot of ways. Like, in several ways, this is actually kind of a well-made movie. Uh, the acting, however, is not one of those ways. Almost everyone in this is terrible, and it makes it very difficult to watch. Also, like you mentioned, the pace, very slow at points. And I know some of that is the era and the style of movie, but there were definitely times that this dragged. I love Bronson. Bronson's always good, but this is by no means peak Bronson or even peak late period Bronson. I kind of mentioned the end line. It's, it's enjoyable, but it's not really a good one-liner. He's kind of just like delivering regular lines and just his delivery is kind of carrying the load. But I miss like, I would have loved just a real good zinger and he doesn't really have one. So with all of this in mind, oh, also I should mention his age. That's a bit of a liability. He's once again like 70 years old, and it really showed in the running scene. Uh, that was a tough one to watch. Yeah. So, yeah, like I don't think it's a badly made movie, but there's a lot that kind of distracts, let's say, or there's a lot that's not executed well. So I have this as a seven not like super bad, but not good enough where I'm putting it on the other side of five, you know? Yeah, that's fair. Um, my biggest sort of takeaways for this were the acting was really bad. I didn't think that the Warren villain character was a good actor. I thought that he was a struggle. I thought that all of the women that they featured in this did incredibly poorly. Yeah, man. Jeez. Um, not, his daughter's okay. His daughter's pretty good. Actually, that's true. His daughter is not bad. Bronson's fine. Bronson's partner is also okay. So the three of them kind of carried the acting load. Um, the pace was a challenge for me. The paint-by-numbers or obviousness of the story and where it was going to go was a, a good bit point. frustrating. Yeah. It was a thriller, but it didn't have me on the edge of my seat. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, I kind of felt like I knew what was going to happen. There wasn't that sort of tension of where there was no red herrings. There was no, like, something else is going to happen. I didn't feel like the stakes were really there for the characters that they had made me care about. They did do a good job of making me not want his daughter to die and wanting to have that happen. So that was good. Um, I thought the sound and music were way overdone, too. The music's just weird. It's all over the place. And like yeah. we have that weird kind of like 
relaxed sort of almost like classical piano mixed with like up-tempo 80s fucking rock with like some synth in there and it comes at odd times very strange yeah it was strange um the fact that the title is unclear i don't know why it's there is, is a bit <laughs> of a problem on the bad yeah um the old-fashioned beliefs about women and their sexuality was a little bit troubling too well, that's more of an enjoyment factor for you i feel yeah this maybe that might have been there i kind yeah. of it's hard because they transition over and i did feel like the makeup wasn't great I felt like they did a decent job of not showing the stabbings because they couldn't. Make oh yeah, them they're, look wor- real. they're working around it. Yeah, yeah, they were working yeah. around in it's kind easier. of an effective way. Yep. But I didn't love the blood splatter. I didn't love that he was covered in blood but not dragging it anywhere. Like he's walking oh. around after just murdering someone and he's barely like bringing any blood with him. Gotcha. Some of that stuff was there. I had it as an eight bad. That might be a little bit harsh, but that's fair. Um, it wasn't a poorly crafted movie. Yeah, that's right. What I was like to it, say, yeah. it was well edited. There were some decent lines and like it did what it was supposed to do. I think they achieved what they wanted in this. I think it just as a time piece doesn't hold up to the kind of action thrillers that we watch now. Right. It almost gets more of a bad rating from me because of the pace and the age of the movie. And I know that's not always fair, but that's just how I feel about it. Well, I think we had the same comment when we watched Black Christmas. I think it was the same thing as like it, it's again structurally well made for the time, especially as well, but like compared to modern stuff, it just loses some of its luster because of the pace and whatever else. You made a great point, I thought, about how it is a thriller, but when you know what's going to happen because it's so paint-by-numbers, it removes some of the suspense. That's a really good point by you. I'm going to leave mine as a 7, but like I think the eight's totally valid. Uh, how about enjoyable? How enjoyable did you find this movie on a scale of 1 to 10? Yeah, I think some of the things we just mentioned definitely affect how much I enjoy it, right? The pace and how obvious it was made me not really feel super tense throughout, so it was a bit of a challenge for me. I did laugh at some of the ridiculousness and some of the Bronson lines. I wish there was more action. I, I think to Murphy's Law and that really sweet fight and shootout in the elevator, yeah. I would have loved to have more of those pieces in here, and I think that took away from my enjoyment the fact that it was slow, the fact that it was predictable. I only had this as a five enjoyable, which is pretty low, I think, on those scales, but it's definitely something that I don't, like, I'm not upset that I watched. I would like to see more Bronson. I think I want to watch some of the Bronson that maybe doesn't fit on our podcast. Some of his, like... Oh, God, like, like Dirty Dozen, Great Escape. Yeah, I haven't seen any of that well, stuff. But, okay, what about, like, Death Wish? I've not seen it either, okay. so... So you haven't seen any of the Death Wishes? None, none. Because some of those would definitely fit in our... In fact, all of those, except probably the first one, would fit in our podcast well, and they do contain... At times, just a ridiculous amount of action. So maybe we should try and go yeah. that way next time. We'll try to find a death beer and we'll I would love work that. that I think okay. that's kind of the direction I want to go next with him because I think I enjoyed Murphy's Law more. Like if we were putting the two together, I enjoyed the action and the dynamic in that movie more than I did in this one. It's funny you say that because I'm the exact same way. Uh, I, I think about those two and I was comparing them the whole time. I do believe this is a better film than Murphy's Law, but I don't think it's a better movie. Like, you know what I mean? Mm, like, Murphy's yeah. Law is more fun. It's it's a more uh, enjoyable movie-watching experience. I think this is better made. But if I'm sitting down to watch Charles Bronson blow away a bunch of punks, I want there to be more action. I do enjoy Bronson. I always enjoy Bronson. But all the problems you've described, I, I agree with them. It's the same. It was dragging in parts. Some of the old-timey attitudes are a problem. The absence of action, like you said... Again, as a cop thriller, it's got some good procedural elements. This thing with the alibi I thought was really cool and creative, and I liked that. I do like that, But there weren't enough other parts that kind of drew me in. So I have this as a six enjoyable, probably just because I'm a bigger Bronson fan than you are, so I got a little more of his performance. But, like, we're very close. Like, you're an eight five, I'm a seven six. Not a poorly made movie in the truest, most obvious sense, but in terms of a fun watch, it's kind of era-specific. It's it's a procedural, there's good elements in there. But there's a lot that, especially watching it today, just doesn't hold up. So I think you and I have very similar opinions on this. Um, I can't say I won't watch it again because I get into Charles Bronson movie and I might just throw something on. But there's better Bronson movies out there. I would prefer. It would be lower on my list of ones and to Bronson watch. Ones, so. yeah. How about the beer, though? Um, I liked it. Uh, it was, again, I kind of grapple with the, I pour it out of the can. It looks super dark. And I'm like, ugh. And then I drink it and it's not that dark at all. And it's not that heavy. It had good kind of like smoky notes almost. I don't know if that's chocolate or was it who had chocolate in this one or coffee yeah, or no, what? No, it but. definitely has chocolatey coffee notes. Um, I think this actually has more of those notes than some of the other black lagers I've had. Is yeah, what that's what I was going to say. Like it's not, it's still by no means like thick or heavy, but it reminded me more of like a stout or a porter than a straight up lager. Yeah, it almost reminded me of a lighter stout rather than a lager, um, which is interesting. I don't. I don't know how some of the other black lagers, which I've had, 
tastes so clean and fresh and not like a stout. I, I'm not sure how you keep the color, but don't take those sort of more burnt notes because you have to use burnt grains to get the color. Yeah, like the one we had at Christmas when we watched Black Christmas, the one that went from Cured Craft was the, what you're describing. It was very clean and fresh, and I'm like, I don't. It doesn't jibe with the way it looks. I don't know. Yeah, this jibed more with the way it looked, and yes. and I think that I, like that doesn't take away from the flavor enjoyment. I actually quite liked it. And would drink it again for sure. I in, I enjoyed this version of a black lager, but it sort of fit better with what my brain and eyes kind of work together on drinking a dark beer. Yeah, well, I enjoyed it as well. So we'll have to hope this one comes back from the Grand River Brewing. And uh, speaking of things coming back, next week we're going to be taking a trip back to your fucking childhood in the uh, late 90s. We're going to be watching a little horror comedy called Idle Hands. <laughs> You've seen that, right? <laughs> um. <laughs> I, I know this movie, and I assume that I've seen it, but I can't guarantee anything at this point. Okay. How many times have I been like, oh, I've probably seen that, and it's then we bunch. get to there, yeah. and then it's not there. So yeah. I, I don't know. We're going to see. Devin Sawa, Jessica Alba, Seth Green. Oh, I watched a lot of Seth Dude's Green Dude's comes stuff. alive, and yeah. Yeah, but. Well, we, God, we, are, we can't hardly wait. We know. You're a big can't hardly wait guy. <laughs> Fuck. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can't be upset at that movie. I. It's yeah. It's, it's great. a poor man's American pie. <laughs> oh, I We've mean, already talked about this. Yeah. Anyway. So, yeah. Well, uh, we'll find out if you've seen it, I guess, next week. But uh, hopefully we'll enjoy that one. If nothing else, I'm sure there'll be some nostalgia. Maybe some laughs. Maybe some scares. And I promise you this, we're going to have a fucking great beer for that one. So that'll be an enjoyable time for both of us, if nothing else. Uh, before then, if you have not already, please follow us on social media at the BMB Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, feel free to send us an email, thebmbpodcast at gmail.com. We're kind of wrapping up this third season now, and we're starting to make plans for our fourth season. So we would love some uh, suggestions for either beers or movies or a combination of both. Definitely hit us up. We always love to hear from you, and we hope you'll join us next week for Idle Hands. Until then, I'm Cooper. And I'm Nolan. And we'll see you next time on Bad Movies and Beer. Keep those boners hard. At midnight, if not 10. <laughs> Bronson is back on the streets. 